light of infinite. This week's Torah reading, Parasha of Bishalach, opens with, When Pharaoh sent the people forth, Hashem did not lead them by way of land of the Philistines, although it was nearby. Hashem said, The people may reconsider when they see battle, and they will return to Egypt. So Hashem led the people in a roundabout way of the desert to the Red Sea. The lesson that keeps coming up here is that the path towards the promised land and to holiness is fraught with obstacles, and we must each overcome our doubts and confusion in order to clarify our ultimate goals. This happened with Avram going down to Egypt, and now it's happening with the entire Jewish nation. Instead of leading B'nai Israel by way of the Philistines, Hashem took them around. As Mac Miller sings on hurt feelings about being stuck in a rut, I've been going through it, you just go around it. It sometimes feels like the only way to power through something is to actually move directly through it. But sometimes a circular path, instead of a direct one, is more healing and conducive to holiness. It allows time for healing and clarity, and that's exactly how we as a nation push through the waters of the Red Sea to become free. This parasha features the song that Moshe and three million Jews of the Exodus burst into in unison after they were saved by the splitting of the Red Sea. Prior to taking their fateful step into the sea, they were surrounded on all sides. Pharaoh and the Egyptians pursuing them from behind, the sea in front of them, a forest on one side, and impassable cliffs on the other. Spiritual exile corresponds to Egypt, and we find ourselves spiritually stuck and often feeling trapped in our own lives, sometimes in indecision, other times by a series of obstacles that seem insurmountable. It's each of our willingness to draw close to Hashem that represents our own exodus from impurity and indecision to purity and clarity, from faithlessness to a life more faithfully balanced. Often when we do feel trapped and feel that we have no viable options left, we are only left with crying out, speaking out, and praying to Hashem. And in those times, we will see the waters open up and the beginning of a redemption will reveal itself. It's written in Tilim, the sea saw and fled. Rab Natan of Breslov teaches that the entire night that B'nai Israel waited by the sea, the disparaging angels tried to make a case to Hashem that the Jews weren't worthy, but the sea saw the coffin of Yosef that they carried, fulfilling the promise to bring his bones to Eretz Israel. And in the merit of the Avot, the patriarchs, the sea split. But it didn't just split then, as Hashem waited for the Jews to express themselves in tefillah and prayer. When they finally did in the morning, Hashem answered them. Hashem has abundant redemption stored up for each person, and we need to make the effort to receive it through Torah, prayer, and mitzvot. When it's written, the angel of Hashem who walked before the camp now walked behind it. This refers to Moshe, who is giving them a chance to take action and to prove their faith. When Hashem commanded Moshe, speak to the children of Israel, and they will move forward. Ve'yomar Hashem el Moshe, ma tzitzak alay daber el b'nei Yisrael ve'yasu. It was at that moment that Nachshon ben Aminadav proceeded to jump into the sea, that the action of faith was fulfilled, and that the sea split. Moshe had to give space for that to take place. Orachayim explains Hashem's instructions in this case as the blueprint on how to be saved. Bnei Israel at that moment were in their lowest ebb of faith. This caused the disparaging angels to say, How are the Jews any better than the Egyptians? And addressing their complaints, Hashem said to Moshe, Why are you crying to me? It's puzzling because it was not Moshe who was crying, but the nation. Ramban addresses this seemingly strange verse, explaining that Moshe symbolizes and embodies the Jewish people. So while addressing Moshe, he means the Jewish people. The Talmud Yerushalmi states, All of Israel are one body, and gives the analogy of two hands of the same body. 
The revelation of oneness is when we tap into our spiritual essence, the focus of soul over body. Then we could see the interconnection and the oneness of all Jewish souls stemming from the source of their souls in the one God. As the Altar Rebbe explains in Tanya, this results from elevating and raising the soul higher and higher to its root and source. And so Hashem commanded Moshe to rekindle the light and faith within the Jews. Speak to the children of Israel and they will move forward. And by virtue of that, they will be saved. All the recurring themes of Egypt, Mitzrayim, constriction, Suffolk, doubt, and Amalek, the nation and notion that we are commanded to eradicate, come to their most revealed state in this week's reading. As Bnei Israel are led in circles in the desert, Pharaoh and the Egyptians come to take them back into enslavement. But they take a faithful step to clarity, leaving their doubts behind. And when they question and doubt the salvation entirely, they reach a low spiritual realm, seemingly no different than the Egyptians. And while one could argue if they even merited redemption, this was the deciding moment to show faith. To be redeemed, action had to be taken. If they lost hope, gave up, and hadn't taken that faithful step into the sea, believing Hashem would save them, but if they did take that faithful step, it would prove their allegiance and demonstrate an action towards full faith. It was at that moment that they were redeemed. This is the parasha of the Shira, the song of the sea. There are, according to the Midrash, 10 preeminent songs in our tradition that stand out as the key occasions in which our redemption manifested into music. The first was sung on the night of the Exodus in Egypt. The second we read this week, the song of the sea. The next is the song at the well. Then we have Hazinu, Moshe's song to commemorate completing writing the Torah. Then there is the song which Yahshua stopped the sun, and there's Deborah's song. King David's song, the song of the dedication of the Beit HaMikdash, Holy Temple, and of course, Shira Shirim, King Solomon's song of songs. The 10th song will be Shir Chadasha, the new song, the one, much like the song of the sea, that we all sing in unison in the final redemption. As we read and sing, God is my strength and my song, he will be my salvation, strength refers to Torah and song refers to tefillah, prayer. When a person is able to turn their Torah study into tefillah before Hashem, asking for help, asking for the dvekut, the clinging to, of observing the Torah, then Hashem will be my salvation. Barbanel points out that the ninth verse of the song, which reads that the Egyptians desire to give chase, overtake, and divide the spoils, illustrates that their desire wasn't to take Bnei Israel back to Egypt to enslave them again, but to kill them in the desert and to take their riches. Of course, fate had a different ending in mind. In the 13th verse, we read that Hashem leads Bnei Israel to his holy habitation, which Ramban explains as the Beit HaMikdash, the holy temple. As it's written in Yeshayahu, all nations will follow onto it. And further, it's written, Look upon Zion, our festival city, our tranquil habitation. Chazal, our sages, have differing opinions of the way of the Shira manifested and how leadership should play out. Rabbi Akiva holds that the people responded to each of Moshe's verses with, I will sing to God after every verse like a chorus would. And in that way, they acknowledged and agreed with the path laid out for them by their leader, Moshe, but never became wholly their own. Rabbi Lazar, the son of Rabbi Yossi Haglili, holds that they repeated every verse after Moshe, demonstrating that the leader can elevate his people when the leader's understanding can truly become their own. Rabbi Nehemiah holds that the people were so inspired that they too merited Ruach HaKodesh, the spirit of prophecy, and so they recited the song together with Moshe at the same time. And by this, Rabbi Nehemiah's belief is that a leader makes leaders, so much so that they become partners and share the leader's vision with their own. The Lubavitcher Rebbe expands on this concept, taking them further, 
teaching that Jewish leadership results from an inherent spiritual potential that goes beyond a physically bound concept, and that the true leader embodies a collective soul, the soul of the people as a whole, and connects them all to their godly source. The Kabbalah explains the Jewish people as a whole being, one human body, that there are two organs that relate to the life force of the body as a whole, the brain and the heart. It is through this that every member can be elevated beyond our own subjectivity and connected to the godly spark and the source that we all share. That unification through song, no matter how ephemeral it may have been, was the beauty and the clarity of a state of full faith, without fear. And so, we know at that moment the entire people tapped into Moshe's illuminated state of dot, higher perception, that was so powerful and unifying that they recited the song in unison, without any distinction or differentiation. The Rebbe goes on to explain, it is possible to say that the breakthrough achieved through the song of the sea was that the unity that stems from the Jews' essential being was overtly manifest. Generally, the essence of the soul is not expressed. Therefore, there are differences between Jews. When reciting the song of the sea, the Jews' essence was revealed. As a result, these differences were eclipsed. For this reason, the unity was expressed through song, which is channel for joy. Joy breaks through barriers. So too, in the instance at hand, joy breaks through a person's inner limitations and self-definitions and penetrates to the essence and core of the soul. Moreover, joy reflects the revelation of inner potentials. The rejoicing and the recitation of the song brought the essence of the Jew's soul, and the unity stemming from their inherent oneness into revelation. The manifestation of the Jew's unity paralleled the revelation of the divine presence that was manifest in a visible manner. When the Jews recited, This is my God, they were able to point their finger at the Divine Presence. To this day, we all struggle with staying unified as a people, while at the same time, remaining unified with the source of life itself. When we left Egypt, we were still fearful of Pharaoh. These elements of fear take a long time to overcome. The miracle when the sea split is that it also parted our beings from fear. The less fear, the more free we are, and the more we can grow. Fear is the most crippling element that can paralyze a person, even more than a lack of self-confidence. There's a teaching that the acronym for fear is forget everything and run. When we are in that state of fight, flight, or freeze, it's almost impossible to think clearly and center within ourselves to make the wise choice. The prophecy that B'nai Israel merited was due to their fear washing away at that exact moment. It was at that moment that all the Jews reached the highest level and vision. It said that the simplest person reached an even higher level than Ezekiel the prophet. It was then that we had the same vision as Moshe and saying in unison. When we left Egypt, Pharaoh still existed in reality and in the mind of each Jew. That evil still overpowered them, to the point that they even said, Are there no graves in Egypt that you have taken us to die in the desert? They had such crippling fear that they couldn't let go and celebrate their freedom. They couldn't sing their song of redemption yet. But when they crossed over the Red Sea, Pharaoh and the Egyptians all got washed away. There was no evil in the world and no fear in their hearts. Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach says that in order to sing, one has to be free. The slaves from Africa used to sing to tell you that no matter how much you tried to enslave them, they were still free. As Nelson Mandela said, to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others. Singing comes from the world of freedom. When you sing, you are telling evil, you don't have dominion over me. The word midbar, desert, and dibur, speech, share the same root. Speech and song represents freedom, and the desert landscape is a metaphor for freedom. It's a place where the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, showed most clearly for Moshe at the burning bush, at Mount Sinai, and to the children of Israel in the Ananea Kavod, the clouds of glory, and countless other examples. 
The desert is a place without distraction, and so it's a place where humility lives. It's a place where the dance with the divine consciousness paves a path to unification. The elevated state, the space of calm and feeling aligned, is when we focus on the spiritual and do the mitzvot and not fall into the desires that our physicality leads us towards. Fear is a result of faithlessness, however momentary the feeling. In the film Anything Else, Woody Allen looks at Jason Biggs and says, there's a seminal joke that Henny Youngman used to say. It sums it up perfectly as far as you go. A guy comes into the doctor's office. He says, Doc, it hurts when I do this. The doctor says, don't do it. Think about that. It's never as easy as it sounds. Even B'nai Israel on the brink of redemption felt the urge to turn back to Egypt and to the enslavement. We have to focus on faith that's always strengthened by action, but the sort connected to the source and not to the sitra to the other side. We have to take action to remain faithful towards the waters of redemption and never, God forbid, towards something that will prove ultimately harmful to ourselves. Prophecy is a state of consciousness that's achieved when an individual experiences an intense bond with Hashem. And this is done through song. You could picture the moment and the joy of redemption reading as Miriam, the elder sister of Moshe, led the female encore to the song of the sea. As we read, Miriam the prophetess took the tambourine in her hand and all the women followed with their tambourines and dances. And Miriam called to them, sing to God. In Talmud Bracha, it teaches, words emanating from the heart enter the heart. Kabbalists explain that music helps banish extraneous thoughts and clears the mind, cutting away impure thoughts that envelop the soul, allowing a person to connect to the light of the infinite. Music is also something that can be played in circles infinitely. In fact, that's how the prophets would reach their state of nivuah, their state of prophecy. A riff would be played repetitively and act as a mantra, a meditation, until the Navi, the prophet, would enter this sort of prophetic state. And as we know, in the times of Mashiach, prophecy will return to the people. The music of our redemption will be realized. Rabbi Trugman writes, inspired by the Ramchal and his Sefer Derech Hashem, that there are a number of ways to become a fitting vessel for obtaining divine inspiration and prophetic experience. Perhaps the easiest to comprehend is the use of music because it penetrates the mind, the heart, and the soul in a manner unlike any other experience. It allows the soul to soar to heavenly heights, giving people wings for their most glorious aspirations and dreams, an expression of their deepest pain and existential loneliness. Music is a cosmic language that unites the physical and the spiritual, the body and the soul, universal and particular, while simultaneously transcending time and temporal space altogether. And it was exactly this loftiest experience that the Jewish people achieved as they sang the Song of the Sea together. Karl Bach shares such a deep Torah about the Exodus. In this parasha, the word Vayechi is used, a word that alludes to something sad, which begs the question, why use a sad word when writing that Pharaoh let the Jewish people go? The Divrei Bina of Biala explains that there are moments when we have the opportunity to receive everything in the world, but human nature has us satisfied with much less. And so we don't receive what we could have. The night B'nai Israel left Egypt, Hashem would have given us anything. Redemption to the world, Mashiach. But B'nai Israel, because of their doubt, were satisfied with just getting out of Egypt. We often doubt ourselves when we attempt to do something that we want or need. And once we see that we are able to do what we had doubted, we too feel satisfied with reaching even the lowest level of our initial one, without realizing and pushing further past that initial stage. We don't often realize how much we are actually capable of and that we could tap into God's light so much more than we could have ever dreamed possible. As we covered last week, we are always reflecting God's light, even when we think it's our own. 
Once we tap into godly energy and recognize that all our strengths and goodness come from this godly source, we can also begin to recognize how truly powerful and capable we are, not because of our own doing, but simply because we are created by God. This is a powerful thought when trying to renew ourselves or trying something new. If you think it's just you alone, it may seem insurmountable, but realizing that we are part of an eternal oneness and a reflection of the Creator, it becomes less challenging. Karl Bach shared this beautiful story in this regard. Rabbi Nachman of Hordenka, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov's grandfather, was one of the greatest chassidim. He'd always told the Baal Shem Tov that he wished to marry someone very special. There was a young woman who'd come to the Baal Shem Tov wishing the same. So the next time the young woman came to him, he replied, I have someone very special for you. This Rabbi Nachman is my highest, but he is a little bit out of this world. He must promise me that if you have any complaints, you will come and tell me. The two got married and a strange thing started to happen. Rabbi Nachman didn't go to their new home to sleep and spend time, not even on the night of their wedding. He would come home for lunch and breakfast and that was it. So the woman went to the Baal Shem Tov to let him know about this odd predicament which she found herself in. The Baal Shem Tov immediately went to Rabbi Nachman and said, Nachman, what's going on? Why don't you go home? So he said, Rebbe, you and I know, sadly enough, that it's decreed that she will die in childbirth. I don't want her to die so young. So the Baal Shem Tov said, let me tell you something. Why don't you just talk to your wife straight? Rab Nachman, of course, followed his Rebbe and went home to speak to his bride and said, I want you to know I love you so much. The reason I'm not coming home is because I know what's decreed in heaven and I don't want you to die. She looked saddened and said to her husband, is the way that I'm living now any better? I would rather have one good year with you than live like this forever. They started to live together happily and that same year she had a baby. When the baby was born, she cried out to Hashem, Ribono shalom, I can't leave like this. I carried this baby in my womb for nine months and I won't even see it. Ribono shalom, let me live four weeks. And she did. She was granted four more weeks of life. But then the saddest thing in the world happened. She passed away. They named the baby Simcha, happiness. And this Simcha is the father of Rab Nachman of Breslov. Rab Nachman of Hordenko was distraught and ran to the Rebbe, the Baal Shem Tov, to tell him what happened. The Baal Shem Tov screamed out, Oi, don't you know that at that moment all the gates were open for her? She could have asked God to stay alive forever. We don't often realize the power we hold. The Jews at the brink of receiving the full revealed light of the infinite could have brought us to the time of Kulo Shabbat, when it is all Shabbat, the redemptive state. But they were stuck in the mindset of feeling that they should perhaps go back to Egypt, where food was guaranteed. So just their salvation from Egypt at that moment when the Egyptians were meant to kill them was enough of a relief for them. Had their Amuna faith and Bitachon trust been unwavering, the full redemption could have come. But instead, only the beginning stage towards the final redemption came. And as we know, after the Egyptian exile came, exiles at the hands of Babylonian, Persian, and the Roman Empire came. If only their faith was on the level of Moshe at that moment, the full redemption would have come right then. Karl Bach's story is meant to illustrate that the same lesson, that the moment the gates are open, we can't limit ourselves. The infinite one's dream for us are always bigger and better than the dreams we have for ourselves. As we read, then Moshe and Bnei Israel sing this song to Hashem. Az yashir Moshe Bnei Israel et ashir azot. But as we see in verse 17, Moshe prays that their redemption will be forever and there will be no more exile. But in the next verse, Bnei Israel sing that Hashem will reign forever and ever. It is the will, the future tense, instead of is, the present tense, that made all the difference. Had they proclaimed it in the present, they could have ushered in the final redemption right then. But not realizing the power they had, they were satisfied with just the Egyptian exile itself. 
But we have to recognize that at that moment, all of Israel and Moshe had the same vision. The Kabbalah teaches that the sea is a symbol of concealment, as it's a place where everything is covered by water. The sea splitting is a symbol of revelation, when that which has been hidden becomes revealed. Moshe and three million Jews are all singing. For one moment, they all had the same vision as Moshe, and they were ready to receive the absolute highest. The Zohar says, Whoever sings Ajashir, the song of the sea, the song of deliverance, every day with kavanah, with sincerity, will have their sins forgiven and will merit singing it together with Mashiach and all of Israel in the time of our ultimate redemption. It's not enough to ask for the redemption. We already know it's coming. We must ask for it speedily at this very moment and with that, bask in the revealed light of the infinite forever. Amen. Dive in deeper at lightofinfinite.com.